sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Oh, yeah. You know what time it is. <laughs> Cover it with Teddy Cover starts. Right now here on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Sirius XM Channel 159. We have a loaded show for today. You know what we're talking about. What are the two big sports? Look, I'm not an NHL guy. So if you're looking for strong NHL analysis, I'm sorry. You come to the wrong place. When it comes to college baseball, World Series, yeah, I'm not that guy either. But when it comes to the mainstream sports, Major League Baseball, NBA Finals, you know what you're going to (laughs) get. You're going to get some serious, well-thought-out analysis, some strong opinions, and some concepts on how to bet. I'm going to do that today with Steve Merrill. at Steve Merrill on Twitter. Steve's going to join me in just a few minutes. But before we get into that, before we get into any of this MLB and any of this NBA, we got to talk about what happened this past week in Major League Baseball. Because Diamond Sports, who uh, they used to be Bally Sports, or used to be Fox Sports, they declared bankruptcy this past week. And now there are 14 MLB teams which have question marks about where their TV coverage is going to come from. Now, the Padres were the first one. Diamond Sports had stopped making payment to the Padres a few weeks back. The Padres were the first team to announce that they were, uh, what's the, uh, the contact has been broached, <laughs> breached, whatever you want to call it. And... The Padres became the first team not to have a local sports provider. And there are many other teams in the mix. The Brins, the, uh, the Twins, the Brewers, the D-backs are all missing payments right now. This could be a spiraling problem. Now, I'm an old guy, okay? I'm not going to uh, say uh, I'm a 20-something. I'm not a 30-something. I'm in my 50s, all right? I've had direct TV with every major sports package. And I've had it for, what, the last 25 years, basically since I moved to Vegas. I think it was my third year out here. I bought the DirecTV package. Maybe it was my second year out here. It was pretty quick. Um, and I stopped having to go to the casinos to watch all the games, which was nice, <laughs> especially for football. And they got Sunday ticket, and that was, my, you know, that was what I was most interested in. So I've had DirecTV for a long time. I'm exactly the type of client that DirecTV has lived off of for all these years. And again, I've got all the packages. I've got the NBA package, the MLB package, and I've got the, the college football package, and on and on down the line. I get all, you know, lots and lots of sports from the one source. But now, Sunday Ticket has moved to YouTube. Streaming. MLB. You know, MLB is going to be streaming the Padres games. 20 bucks a month. 75 bucks for the rest of the year, just for Padres games for San, San Diego fans. That's not a great way to build a local fan base. Nonetheless, 20 bucks a month for Padres games on the MLB TV app. I'm not sure what the long-term process is going to be for that, but now we're paying for YouTube, paying for the MLB TV app. Hey, look, again, I'm not a guy who switches around, <laughs> you know, direct TV. I've been doing it this way forever. That's not going to be the case this year. And with stuff like this, with Diamond Sports going under, owns Bally Sports, and, uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the networks that you watch your local coverage. And, again, out here on the left coast, you know, you get five of them because they're all blacked out in Vegas. 
you know, you got the Dodgers games on 690. You got the Angels games on 692, direct TV numbers. You have uh, what the Padres games on 694. The A's games on 696. The Giants games on 698. Um, all of which are not blacked out <laughs> here in Vegas. But on the package that I've had on direct TV, which makes it fairly easy to know where those teams are playing and fairly easy to watch them. Well, is that going to be the case moving forward? The Padres are now on 694-3. <laughs> so they're still kind of in the same spot. And the fact that I've already paid for the MLB package means I can continue to watch San Diego Padres games. But I'm not, <laughs> A, the typical sports fan. And B, if a guy like me is going to cut the cord, and that might happen, this is like the next step, <laughs> you know, uh, the, the next, uh, you know, all these little grains of sand and the one that finally uh, breaks the camel's back. This has that feel to it, uh, at least for this better. We're doing things the exact same way, and now you say, well, I got to get the YouTube package anyway. The MLB package isn't right anymore. Maybe it's time to cut the cord. And if, I, if guys like me are cutting the cord, DirecTV's in trouble. I think DirecTV's in trouble anyway. You know, they had, it was a mistake for them not to bid whatever they had to bid to keep holding on to the NFL Sunday ticket. Uh, we'll see how it plays out in the long term. But in the short term, guys like me are cutting the cord. <laughs> you know, when the old guys figure out how to do it, it's going to be a problem. And from a revenue standpoint, it's certainly going to affect the bottom line for many owners in Major League Baseball. One more thing I want to talk about real quick before we get Maryland and before the break. And we haven't had a chance to talk since Game 7 last week. And I just want to talk about these NBA playoff Game 7 trends real quick. Because after Round 1, it's been pretty ridiculous. Game 7 unders. 13-2 and two to the under the last 15. All right? And it didn't matter. The total, <laughs> you know, Celtics heat. 215.5 for Game 5. 209 for Game 6. 204 for Game 7. The markets made a huge adjustments. Didn't matter. Game still stayed under by room to spare. If we see another Game 7 before this postseason is through, keep that trend in mind. The round one under is not as good. After round one, Game 7 unders. 13-2 and two the last 15. That, my friends, is a trend worth paying attention to. Steve Merrill coming up next. Coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers here on Sirius XM Channel 159, the Sports Grid Radio Network. I'd like to bring in our guest for today, Steve Merrill, at... Steve Merrill, that's two R's, one L on Twitter. Steve, welcome to the program. How are you doing this weekend? Teddy, doing great, and I uh, was honored to guest host Wager Talk today with you this past week on Wager Talk TV, and looking forward to doing so again a little bit next week as well. Yeah, it's always a lot of fun uh, doing media with you. Steve is a longtime media professional, and certainly someone who knows a fair bit about betting on sports. How long have you been doing this, Steve? 30 years? More than 30 years? Uh, you know, you're a mid-50s guy like me, right? So don't date me like that, Teddy Covers. Actually, I started professionally 
two months out of school in August of 1996. So I have been doing this professionally on a daily basis since August of 96. So that's, this will be now the uh, what, 28th football season coming up. But yeah, as you and I, of course, know, you and I both were doing it a lot longer before that, before we became full-time professionals. So yeah, definitely over 30 years I've been following it. Sure, sure. But if you graduated in 96, that means my date on you at the wrong side of 50, I think, is off. So that's good. You got to... 49 and a half, man. Yeah, under yeah. the toe. Yeah, just, just under, just a bit outside. So uh, I'm going to talk a little NBA. I'm going to talk a little MLB with you on today's show. And let's start with a little recap of what we just saw. Game one of the NBA Finals. Denver, wire to wire, under, pretty easy. You had a sweat if you were on the side in that ball game. Miami made a couple of runs, one at the start of the third, one at the start of the fourth, and made things interesting. They cut the lead as low as nine with, what, a couple minutes to play, uh, which <laughs> had Nuggets backers sweating. Underbackers didn't sweat the whole game. Though. I mean, the, the game was not played with pace, and uh, neither team shot well from three, and Miami didn't shoot well from two. Uh, so from a pace-slash-total standpoint, there was no sweat there. From a side standpoint, Despite the fact that Miami stunk for most of the game, they still had a chance to sneak in under the number late. Do you put that on Denver taking their foot off the gas with the lead? Do you put that on Miami's, you know, feistiness? They've been a very feisty team all year. Or is that not anything you think necessarily has a whole lot of uh, value when we talk about trying to project forward in this series? Um, give me some game one thoughts. No, I think it's a little bit of both. As is often the case in life, it's a combination, a balance of both. Uh, Miami's been a scrappy team. They've done that numerous times in the postseason, come back from double digit uh, down just to win some games, even outright. Denver's also let teams back in. Of course, Boston has let teams back in all season. They were they ended up costing them a trip to the finals, in my opinion, by losing to Miami. Um, so I think it was a little bit of both. You know, the Heat have been ice cold, pretty much shooting all game. They did start to hit some threes. As you said, it was a 21-point lead for Denver going into the fourth. Miami came out of the gate, hit numerous three-pointers. They got quickly scored 11 points in a row to make it a 10-point game. And it did briefly touch that nine-point margin. And I remember, because I had Denver as a best bet for my clients at wagertalk.com as a minus nine-point favorite. And, you know, you said something earlier this week on Wager Talk Today, Teddy, I've been thinking about. You said nothing makes you madder than when a win turns to a push. We've been talking about hedging strategies. Yep. And I think that's why I was really sweating it last night because I knew I had the right side in Denver. It never should have gotten that close. And um, I was a little worried because Denver really had the game in hand. And if they won by eight or seven, it was going to still be an easy win for them. I probably would have sat more guys early in the fourth with the 21-point lead. But Jokic actually scored more points in the fourth than he had most of the game. Um, and luckily, they held on for the 11-point win. But recapping game one, if you're looking forward to how things might change, you know, you definitely should have some concerns if you're a Miami fan or a Miami backer because Denver shot 29.5% from three-point range, and they had more turnovers in the game, and they still won easily by 11 points and covered. Um, and that's because they dominated down low. Uh, they had a 26-point edge from two-point range in the free-throw line. Miami had a 15-point edge from three and still lost by double digits. So they're going to have to shoot better. They're going to have to hit some threes again. The one thing I think the big question for me, Teddy, we don't have the referee assignments yet for Sunday night's game. Um, I don't think Scott Foster will be going quite this early to get things even. But 20 free throw attempts to two. That was an NBA Finals record low, two free throw attempts for the Heat. The previous record low was three. Um, and you can say, well, Denver's got a big size edge down low. And I think they do have an interior edge. But look at the two regular season meetings. 
Miami had more free throw attempts in both games, home and away. 50 free throw attempts to just 37 for Denver in the regular season. So that's going to even out more. And we joke about the script in the NBA and all that. I don't really believe that stuff. But with that said, the league does review games. They do review the officiating. They don't want to see a 20-2 to discrepancy. That's not going to happen again. So I do think Miami will get some calls, and uh, the game will probably be a little tighter for that reason. Yeah, but like all the Scott Foster narratives have failed this postseason. Every one of them. <laughs> there was the, oh, Chris Paul can't win with Scott Foster refing, you know? Chris Paul and the, and, the, and the Suns won with Scott Roth Foster refing. They knocked off the Clippers. And then there was the, uh, the they want, what's, what game? They want the Denver, or sorry, they want the, the Warriors and Lakers, Lakers to, to go to game seven. Right. And, and then Scott Foster's going to ref game seven of the, the Heat Celtics, and they want the Celtics in the finals. And, and none of those narratives played out. Do you buy any of this refereeing stuff? Or is this just something that people like to talk about that when you're making a bet, it's not really anything you're going to pay attention to in a real way? No, I, I've never used officiating for handicapping the NBA. Scott Foster, though, all seriousness, is the one that's caught my eye in the last couple of years because there's been some pretty extreme results. And it's not just like the Chris Paul. He doesn't like Chris Paul. They were like 0-14 at one point in his games. But he does seem to call a lot more fouls sometimes. And in that Lakers-Grizzly series, I believe it was game six, some questionable calls. So I think there's a little something there with Foster. But big picture, though, one of the reasons the zigzag and all that stuff does work a lot in the NBA is because – the league does keep an eye on this, and they do review the officials and review how the game was played out. So I think in this case, when you have a 20-2 to free throw advantage, um, I don't think they're going to say, hey, look, give Miami more calls. But I do think they review it, and the officials probably maybe review it as well. And I just don't think it's going to turn out. Plus, it's just going to return to the mean. Like I said, Miami had more free throw attempts in both regular season games. That was kind of a fluke outlier. Butler did not take the ball to the hoop well. I think he'll be more aggressive in game two. Um, some of his props to the over are probably worth a look for that reason. Sure. And I had the the guy who wrote the book on the Tim Donahue scandal. Not Donahue, who also wrote a book. Right. <laughs> uh, but I had the Penn State professor, Sean Patrick Griffin, uh, on this show. I think it was last year. And we talked a lot about what he had found out about the NBA refs and about Scott Foster. Because remember, all the Scott Foster allegations stem from the Tim Donahue book and interviews. And basically, the word from the researcher was that, uh, I'll phrase this politely. Um, how do we say this? Uh, don't believe anything that Tim Donahue has ever said or written. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it all comes from his allegations. And Donahue has spent uh, uh, his, uh, his post-NBA life trying to salvage his own reputation and make money. So sometimes we take some of his comments about other refs, especially the easy ones. He's like, oh, yeah, it was that game six, the one that everyone still talks about with the Kings and the Lakers, you know, where uh, L.A. came back in the fourth quarter. That was the original Scott Foster allegation, and uh, that was kind of low-hanging fruit for Donahue to accuse him of. So uh, I tend to take that stuff not so seriously. And, of course, when you have a guy who wrote the book on it on cover it, it's the subject that I know a little bit about. Uh, just about a minute for the break, Steve. Any thoughts about the series overall right now? Certainly from a series price, Denver, an even bigger favorite now than they were prior to game one. 
Yeah, well, you and I talked about this last week, Teddy. I mean, if you're going to look to play Miami in the series, it probably made sense to wait till after game one because everyone kind of knew it was a terrible spot for him. Denver extended rest at home, Miami on the short trip. So I don't think if you thought Miami could be live in this series, I don't think game one should scare you off. And that's something else we have to keep in mind. And you are getting almost six to one now versus three to one when the series started. If they do, if they do lose game two, though, they're going to be, a, you know, have a good chance in game three. As you know, teams down 0-2 have been pretty strong at home in games three. Sure, that's been the heat. Uh, uh, that's been the way of the NBA postseason. Although the betting markets often price that team returning home for Game Three and with an extra premium. But uh, given the point spread of the first two games in this series, Miami goes down 0-2. What are we looking at? Pick them? We'll see. It's not going to be Heat laying a big number. More with Steve Merrill coming up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back. Cover it with Teddy Covers, Sirius XM, Channel 159. You know what it is. It's the Sports Grand Radio Network. We're talking NBA Finals and some MLB with Steve Merrill. And Steve, I, w- I want to close out our NBA thoughts right here. Series prediction. What do you got for me? How's it going to end? Well, I think the matchup is bad for Miami. Um, that's why I had Denver as a strong best bet in game one at wagertalk.com for my clients. Um, I think game two is tricky because I do think, you know, teams normally bounce back in games two or three. So I think Miami gets either game two or three. This will be a 2-1 series um, going into game four. And um, I don't think they probably get another game. So I'm going to say Denver 4-1. I know uh, you probably think it's going to go a little longer. Most people do, but Denver's back home in game five. Keep in mind, it's not a 2-3-2 like it used to be years back in the finals. It's a 2-2-1-1-1. I think Denver closes it out in the altitude in game five. Yeah, I I would expect a longer series. Uh, I've got a bet on over five and a half games in the series. I laid minus 130 with that. And that's just a – I believe in Miami's ability to respond to adversity. Um, They've proven that to me uh, this postseason, and uh, I would expect that to continue even facing adversity in the playoffs against a superior team. Denver's a better team. I do not think Miami wins this series, but I wouldn't. Stranger things have happened. Uh, And when it comes to a team that is demonstrably hungry, Miami's that team. Uh, We'll see if it plays out. Uh, But I I like this series to go six games or seven. Let's shift our focus to MLB because we're really at the one-third point of the season. Every team's played about 54 games, 55, 56 We still have two-thirds of the season to go, beginning of June. Tell me who you have right now as a bet-on team or a bet-against team. Give me a team that you think isn't being priced correctly in the marketplace right here the first week of June. Well, I was going to say the 10-second answer would be let's play on the Rays and fade the A's, but we all know that's been working all season long. Um, I still do think Tampa's for real, by the way, just offensively, they're so deep and they've had that bullpen approach, you know, for years where they can kind of use different guys. They're going to have a high seat. I just don't know if they have the starting pitching though, to win it all come playoff time. And by the way, I joke about how, yeah, go ahead, Steve, let let me jump, let let me jump in real quick about the Rays Cause to me, they're a fascinating team. All right. They're 40 and 18. They played close to 700 baseball so far this season. And we know that they're good. But at the end of the year, we're talking about a team that's 22 games under 500 through less than 60. 
they're not going to play at this pace. Will you make money if you back the Rays right now moving forward? Or is this a team that, you know, we know they're good. They've still overachieved despite being good. I guess my question is, can you make money back in Tampa right now moving forward? Yeah, I actually think you can. And I think you can also make money fading them come playoff time. How do you like that? Because I don't think they're the type of team that's going to win it all. But they have a great regular season makeup because, like you and I have talked about, they have the bullpen approach to games. They have so much depth, both hitting and pitching. I think they can continue to be a really good regular season team. Um, and he, but you look last year, the Phillies finished third in their own division, you know, only 88 wins. They're six games below 500 heading into Friday night now. They're the defending NL champs. So regular season and postseason in baseball is so unlike the NBA. You know, the NBA, the number one seeds, like the Nuggets, normally win the title because of best of seven series, the better team wins. But in baseball and hockey, a pitcher or a goaltender can carry you in the playoffs. So I do think the regular season, the Rays will still be a moneymaker. And by the way, I know I joked about Oakland being so awful, but I'd be very careful with the A's. They're in a historically bad situation this year, uh, 12 and 46, 20% win percentage. Nobody wins just 20%. This team is so bad, they probably don't win more than 30% because they're a, day, a dead lame duck team. They're about to become your Las Vegas A's, Teddy Covers, and they have no home field advantage. Uh, you and I showed a chart from Ralph Michaels on Wager Talk TV on Wager Talk Today Friday. Um, about how bad teams second to third third of the season are not good plays. They still lose money. And the worst situation for a team like the A's from Ralph Michael's chart was that home off a win, home off a win. They've been a huge money burner. And that makes so much sense with Oakland right now because they have no home field, no hometown anymore leaving town. So I think we still fade the A's at home off a win. I think the Rays will make money. But some other teams that have underachieved, maybe that we have some upside with, uh, this is fascinating to me, Teddy. I meant to mention this to you this week. We never got a chance. You look at the NL Central. Right now, the Cardinals are actually second to last. They were last a couple of days ago, and they had the best run differential in the NL Central. And right now, the Brewers, who are leading the division heading into Friday night, have the second worst run differential, just negative 26, whereas the Cubs and Cardinals at the bottom are plus run differential. So I think that NL Central is wide open as always. Uh, the AL Central, just like last year, only one team has a positive run differential. That's the Twins. The other four teams are terrible. Um, so I'm not looking for any of these teams to do anything for me in the near future. I will give you a play on team though, in the NL West. The San Diego Padres currently four games below 500. They went on a, what was it, like a 14-1 and underrun a couple weeks ago. Their offense has started to pick up at times. They had a nice series against Miami earlier this week, uh, and they put up nine and ten runs in two of those three games. I think there's some upside with the Padres. And Padre overs would be something I'd be looking to play in the near future as well. Yeah, Padres overs outside of Peco makes sense to me. Yeah. Padres overs at Peco. Boy, if you if you've watched both their offensive approach and their results, they're just not scoring runs in their home ballpark. That's why they had that home, uh, that whole run of unders uh, earlier this season. And you know, well, I mean, we're going to talk about the underachievers. You mentioned two of them. Certainly the Cardinals are an underachiever. The Padres are an underachiever. The Phillies, a third team you talked about, an underachiever. And if I was listing a fourth one, I'd probably put the White Sox as that fourth, you know, team that was supposed to be in contention and they're just playing bad baseball, sub-500 baseball. Of those four teams, White Sox, Cardinals, Padres, Phillies, clearly you think there's upside with San Diego, but are you going to be able to find value with the Padres? That team, to me, even now, even after all their mediocrity, they still look overpriced in the markets. Out of those four underachievers, White Sox, Cardinals, Padres, Phillies, 
which one of those teams am I going to make the most money with here in June? Which one of those teams would I make money continuing to fade here in June? Well, I mean, the problem with all four of those teams is they're all somewhat like kind of public teams. You and I talked about the White Sox last year, how they vastly underachieved. We thought they'd be better in the second half, and they weren't. Uh, the Phillies, as I mentioned, the defending National League champs, they're negative 45 run differential on the season. And the Padres were considered one of the three or four best teams in baseball coming in this year. They're fourth place in their division, but they're plus eight in run differential. So I do think there's some upside still with the Padres, especially over the next month. As I mentioned, I think that offense is going to get hotter, especially on the road, as you said. But I'd be cautious with the Phillies. I mean, I thought the Phillies were kind of a fade team this season. I think they will win more than six games below 500. But I'm not sure you're necessarily going to make money with them because I still think they're being priced as the defending NL champs. Sure, and Philadelphia coming off a pretty ugly series uh, in Queens at City Field, getting swept by the Mets. They have not played particularly good baseball. And, you know, when Nola's on the hill, when Wheeler's on the hill, they're always laying a price. Uh, Philadelphia, with their aces, has not been profitable. Let's talk about some of the overachievers. And I talked a little bit about Tampa. You said there's still money to be made with the Rays, despite that hot start. Let's talk about some other teams that you have to think are, are, are playing certainly better than anticipated. We look at season win totals. We look at uh, anything that uh, uh, you were paying attention to in March as opposed to April and May. You know, And four teams stand out besides Tampa. That would be the Arizona Diamondbacks have played over their heads. The Baltimore Orioles, who showed signs last year, they've been amazing this season. The Pirates above 500 in June. We haven't seen that in, what, decades? And the Texas Rangers, underachievers last year, they've been overachievers so far this season. Let's talk about these four as a group. D-backs, Orioles, Pirates, Rangers. Which one of those four do you think you can keep backing and still make money? And which one of those four do you think is primed to cost us money here in June? Team that you want to start fading right about now if you haven't done so already. Yeah, Pittsburgh heading into Friday is still one game above 500. I don't think they finished with a winning record this year, but we probably missed our opportunity to fade them hard, which was a few weeks ago when they had the second best record in all of baseball after Tampa Bay, and they lost like nine straight right after that. Um, one team you mentioned I'll definitely talk about is the Texas Rangers. I, I did a couple preview shows at wagertalk.com this uh, baseball preseason, and I mentioned Texas as a real play on team. Uh, I thought that the rule changes are going to benefit them as much as anybody in baseball this year because they have a left-handed heavy lineup, talented left-handed hitting lineup without the shift rule now that really benefits lefties. And also, uh, Texas stole a lot of bases last year. The new rules also benefit uh, base stealing. So the fact that the Rangers are 15 games above 500 heading into Friday, they're plus 131 net runs. That is actually better than Tampa Bay by 18 runs. Very few people would realize that. So Texas is for real, and I think there's still money to be made because they were so bad last year. Yeah, and then, you know, when you find a team – like the Rangers, and everyone said, yeah, they're kind of going to be better, maybe. <laughs> you know, but you didn't see that, wow, they're going to contend for the division title. Those tend to be teams that you can ride for extended stretches. And I want to talk about Baltimore here for just a minute, because um, I talked to someone this week who I respect a lot, but I disagreed with their opinion pretty strongly. They said, look, the Orioles made everyone money last year. They made everyone money in April. They made everyone money in May. Therefore, they're overvalued right now. And I'm like, I'm not convinced the markets, the broader markets, really like any of the pitchers on this team. When you see Baltimore, overvalued, undervalued, valued correctly right now. 
Yeah, last year they were plus 27 net units. They were the best moneymaker in baseball the last two years combined. So, yeah, until I see that trend change, Teddy, I'm not looking to fade them just because they've had a massive run. And keep in mind, three years ago in 2021, they lost almost 27 units that season. They were the third worst team in baseball. So I think Baltimore is still underrated, just like Texas. Yeah, and Baltimore, again, as long as the pitching holds up, which is questionable, but it held up last year. And if you backed the Orioles all year, you made money. And it's holding up so far this season. Well-managed team. I personally think there's still, even right now, at least some value lane remaining to back the Baltimore Orioles. Much more with Steve Merrill coming up after this when coverage continues. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Get all the latest updates, breaking news, line changes, and more. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid, at SportsGridRadio at SportsGrid TV, and stay on the grid everywhere you go. Again, at SportsGrid, at SportsGrid Radio, at SportsGrid TV uh, on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Teddy underscore covers. You can follow today's guest, Steve Merrill, on Twitter at Steve Merrill. That's two R's, one L, at Steve Merrill uh, on Twitter. And Steve, we were talking MLB before the break. We were talking about underachievers and overachievers. Now I want to talk about totals. In my mind, totals can be the best way to attack MLB on a night-in, night-out basis. The streaks last forever sometimes with these totals. You have a hot lineup. You have a bad bullpen. Guess what? You cash over tickets. And until the lineup cools off, uh, the bullpen improves, you're going to continue to cash over tickets. You have a cold lineup and a bullpen that's getting outs. You're going to cash under tickets. <laughs> Maybe not every night, but you'll can cash 7 out of 10, 14 out of 20, 21 out of 30 for an extended period of time. I still remember I had a friend who went on vacation for three weeks in the summer, and he told his friends, or he told his clients, sent an email. He said, every day, play the Red Sox over, play the Dodgers over, and I forget who it was played under. He gave him three teams to ride. He was on vacation for two weeks when he came back. His clients did 70% while he was gone. So the, tre- the, oh, the trends when it comes to totals, the marketplace takes a long time to adjust, especially once we get a third of the way through the season. I remember the Oakland A's. It was post-All-Star break. They came out of the All-Star break, and they cashed two unders in the next 32 games. Yeah, some of it was lucky. The bullpen gave up some runs, some late runs. Their lineup got some hits in the right times. They had some pushes in there. But two unders in a 32-game span, that can happen when it comes to totals in MLB. So let's talk some totals, Steve. Who stands out right now as an over team to you? Good lineup, bad bullpen. Who can we make money with betting overs? The Red Sox, the number one over team in baseball so far. Will that continue moving forward? Yeah, you know, we talked about – the Padres being on those under runs, you mentioned how, you know, obviously at Petco, it's been a different story and they did return home this weekend after I believe it was at eight or nine straight games at Washington, New York and Miami. I still think there's some upside with San Diego over because as you just mentioned, the best and worst teams, if you look back over the years, 
almost every team in MLB every season, maybe there's one outlier. It's not even every year. It's every other year. So every team otherwise finishes in that 40 to 60% range over under, whether it's over or under it's 40 to 60% range. Now, ironically, most one loss records finish in that range as well. That's why the A's being at just 20% this season is historically awful. And they might actually finish around 30, as I said, because they have so many distractions and lack of talent on top of that. Um, So I've always found MLB totals fascinating because we know there's a reversion to the mean after 162 games. Yet with that said, as you pointed out, Teddy, momentum works extremely well with totals. And the other thing I love about MLB totals is that Baseball is the one sport where we can't talk about point spread winners and losers because there's a money line involved. You can have a 65% angle, but if you have to lay minus 200 or more in that game, you're actually going to lose money. Uh, you know, point spreads in the NBA and the NFL and college football and college basketball, we can talk about a 55 or 60% winning angle because we're always laying minus 110 on average on every point spread play. That's what's great about over-unders in baseball. It at least gets the point spread back into play because for the most part, they're always even money to minus 120. So on average, it's going to come out to minus 110 on average for an over-under. And the sports books too, around the world and in Las Vegas, are pretty good still about doing 20-cent lines. A lot of these new legal sports books in all the different states you know, have 30, 40-cent splits on the money lines on baseball. It's just awful. So at least the totals give you a fair chance still. And I'll give you a, a, a tout here. I remember a guy named Teddy Covers was on a monster run about 10, 15 years ago. I think it was a 42 and 10 hot streak, if I'm not mistaken. And I know Teddy, a large amount of those winners were overs, especially on the same few teams, because you uh, found the brilliance of playing momentum in baseball. Well, when we look at the top over teams right now, I appreciate the kudos, but that streak a long way in the rearview mirror. It was a nice one. I got some pub off of that streak, uh, <laughs> but that's back in the day now. I need another one uh, like that to be able to brag about it. When we talk about the top over teams so far, I talk about the Red Sox. Uh, being number one, the Rays are right with them, the Dodgers, the Cincinnati Reds, the Texas Rangers, the Atlanta Braves. Do all of those teams, do you expect all those teams to continue cashing over bets? Because for I look at Atlanta's pitching and go, this this isn't an over team. You know, They're going to come back to earth. I look at the Dodgers and go, this lineup's kind of overachieved a little bit. I don't know, they're going to hit that well. They're going to come back to earth. But Boston, Cincinnati, Texas... They might well continue to cash over tickets. Agree or disagree? I agree. And once again, Texas is someone to talk about. You know, the shift rule, once again, not being able to shift on that left-handed, talented lineup is going to be great offensively, plus they run well. So I'm not in a hurry to fade Texas offensive production. Uh, Great point, by the way, about the Dodgers and Atlanta, who are two of the top five over teams right now. Um, I was going to say there's two parts to an over, right? you got to score some runs, but your pitching staff usually has to give up some runs. That's why it's interesting that Tampa Bay is the best over team because they've just been so incredible offensively, averaging about six runs per game on their own. That's like 75% of every over-under right there. Um, their pitching is good, though. So I think Tampa could regress, especially if that offense cools off, which it will at some point. Um, the Dodgers in Atlanta once going to have too many quality starters when they get healthy. Um, but I would agree. I think Boston and Texas are a little more thin. Cincinnati's on the list as well. And surprisingly, Detroit's up there. They're 29-24 and 24 this year, heading into Friday over-under. Uh, they've been terrible offensively in recent years, um, but their pitching has been very mediocre. But I think Cincinnati's another team, really bad pitching will likely continue all year. and They've been hitting the ball really well in the past few weeks. When we look at over teams, we're looking for good lineups or hot lineups and struggling bullpens. We're looking for under teams. We're looking for underachieving lineups, bad lineups, slumping lineups, whatever you want to call it. And we're looking for good bullpens, teams that don't 
let the game get away late. Don't get blown up in the latter stages. And we look at totals this season. I mean, the Padres by far the number one under team, along with Cleveland. Those two teams are kind of lapping the field when it comes to unders. The Phillies have been an under team. The Royals, the Brewers, the Rockies. Those are the top six under teams so far in MLB based on my numbers this year. Of that sextet, which one do you think are going to continue to cash unders? You talked about the Padres as being, uh, their lineup's too good in theory to cash two to one unders, and yet that's what they've done so far this season. The bullpen isn't good enough to cash those unders either. How the heck is San Diego continuing to cash these unders? And do we, uh, you well, said, agree. Uh, you don't expect it moving forward. But any yeah, of those I mean, teams we do team. expect more unders from. Well, that's the team, obviously, we're looking to play some overs on. But their bullpen is currently heading into the weekend, fifth in ERA at 3.3, I believe. So they have had a you know good statistical bullpen. But like you said, Petco's been a real pitcher-friendly park this year. And that's something, by the way, that doesn't always get adjusted fast, as you know. So I do think Padre overs on the road might be a little bit of a safer approach. Uh, Cleveland's an interesting team to me because they're third in bullpen right now. They're behind the Yankees and Astros with the third-best bullpen ERA in baseball. It's a pretty good company there. Um, and their offense is very challenged. So even though Cleveland's only 37% overs this year, as I said, most teams get to 40. They could be that one outlier this year. So Cleveland's a tough team to play the over with right now. Yeah, I mean, we've seen some signs out of their lineup and some cracks out of their bullpen uh, of late. Uh, over the last week, the Guardians have actually cashed some over tickets. So that long-term trend towards the under may not be lasting forever. Let's talk starting pitching real quick. I'm just curious to know, are there any starting pitchers you are targeting right now, in particular, as a bet on or a bet against Hurler? Obviously, at this stage of the campaign, there's plenty of data on the vast majority of these starters. Anyone stands out to you as being undervalued or overvalued in the markets as we speak? Yeah, one guy's interesting to me is, um, you know, m- most pitchers are in MLB because they're pretty good, and they'll have a bad outing or two, you know, and they, they just don't last anymore. But when you see a guy have multiple bad starts in a row, you you got to start wondering, you know, are they just that thin? Do they really think there's something there? Um, but there's also guys that are starting to age, you know, and you look at guys like Verlander, who's now 40. Uh, Grinky, I think, is maybe 41 or 39. I checked his age the other day. Um, some of these big Hall of Fame-type pitchers are guys I'll probably be looking to fade down the stretch in the later months of the season. Might not come into play for the next month or so, but I just don't think they have the arm left. Wayne Wright's another guy with the Cardinals who's 40. Um, I just don't think these guys are going to have what it takes in September. I think we can probably make some money fading them. Not something maybe for the next month or so, but something down the road to keep an eye on. Yeah, one angle that uh, uh, a better that I respect uh, looked at a lot in MLB. He's like, fade the little pitchers after the All-Star break. You know, the guy who's 5'11", 180, isn't going to h- hold up to the heat and humidity of August of the full run uh, the way a 6'4", you know, 240-pound pitcher might do it. Um, so, again, it's an angle. You can pay attention to it or not as you see fit. Steve, I do want to ask you one football question before we're through for today, and it's a real simple one. When do you start your football prep? Are you working on football? I mean, I'm knee-deep in the NFL right now. Uh, Every day I'm trying to do a team or two teams in the NFL, and that's how I keep myself moving through the months. Is this too early for you to do your football prep, or are you uh, knee-deep in something right now as well? 
Well, you know, for the past decade, I used to do an article for Mark Lawrence. Um, they're doing everything in-house this year, so I didn't dig into the college football prep as early as I used to, like in May, which always was a good thing in a way because it got me to start. Um, I always wait until after the draft, obviously, until the schedule's released. You and I have started to talk about season win totals for the NFL. We now have kind of all that information ready. Um, but I don't dig into it quite as early, though. I will, over the summer, start looking at a team-by-team basis. Um, I don't do as much with futures as I used to. I used to fly out to Vegas in the 90s and the early 2000s to play the season win totals, both NFL and especially college football back then. Um, I, I still look at some of those, but I feel like the marketplace has gotten a little deeper and smarter um, with those totals. And as you know, Teddy, you do a great opening line report for season win totals as well at Wager Talk. Um, there is still value there. But, you know, the draft normally I think is a little bit overrated because these are young guys that aren't going to necessarily come in right away and make a difference. But the Lions are a team, Detroit, to give you one kind of maybe play on team that, once again, like the Texas Rangers, a team that's been really bad for a while, offense has more upside. They picked up at the end of the season last year, almost made the playoffs. And I thought they did not hurt themselves in the offseason. So I think there could be some value with the Lions. It's at least an initial team that I'm keeping an eye on. If you trust Jared Goff, you'll like Detroit this year because on paper, if their quarterback is decent, <laughs> they'll be uh, He was decent last year. <laughs> he had a real good offense to run. Uh, so, Steve, we got the, what, but just about a minute left. Why don't you give folks out there a bettable opinion, uh, either in baseball or for uh, the NBA Finals game, too, and then promote yourself. Uh, tell folks where they can find you. Yeah, I know we got listeners on Saturday morning, the replay uh, late into Sunday or, or late night Saturday into Sunday. So I'm going to do an NBA Finals game, two player prop for everybody. A quick reminder, you can get my daily baseball best bets at wagertalk.com and um, all my NBA best bets as well. Plus, I'll have a game two deep dive at Fade the Public Style for NBA Playoffs game two, NBA Finals game two on Wager Talk TV on YouTube. So Wager Talk TV on YouTube and also SteveMerrillWagerTalk.com. Let's look at Michael Porter Jr. over 24.5 points, rebounds, and assists in Game 2 on Sunday night. I think he's going to dominate down low, just like a lot of the other Nuggets have. He had a double-double, 27 points and rebounds and an assist in Game 1. I think he has another big night in Game 2. Michael Porter Jr. over. MPJ over, PRA, says SM. Steve Merrill. Steve, always a joy uh, doing shows with you. It was a lot of fun today. Thank you so much for dropping knowledge for myself and my listeners. We'll talk to you again in the not-too-distant future. Appreciate it. Coverage continues after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. You know what time it is. It's home stretch time because we're here in the home stretch of Cover It with Teddy Covers. And it's important to note. If you like this type of programming, if you missed any portion of today's show, if you want to check out tomorrow's show ahead of time, we do two coverage every week, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. They air on SiriusXM channel 159, but you can also download the podcast version wherever you download your podcast. Just search Cover It or Cover It with Teddy Covers. You can download and consume at your convenience. And best of all, you get every show as soon as they come out. That is worth paying attention to if you like. Again, if you like this type of program. If you don't, knock yourself out. You don't need to. But every show available podcast style, cover it with Teddy Covers. Download and consume at 
your convenience. Let's talk some Saturday MLB action. And this one certainly stands out to me. Why does it stand out to me? Because the Kansas City Royals are laying a price. <laughs> and we start talking about Kansas City in the role of a favorite. And I don't care who's pitching for KC. Is Lynch is the projected starter uh, for Saturday against Gomber, who's actually made me money for Colorado. But this has nothing to do with the Rockies. This has everything to do with Kansas City. Kansas City enters the weekend. They're 17 and 39 overall. All right. If the A's weren't so bad, we'd all be making fun of the Royals right now because they've been almost as bad. At home at Kaufman Stadium, 8 and 21 in their first 29 games. That's not a strong home field edge, to put it mildly. They had a worse home record than road record last year. It's not like they have a good bullpen, it's not like they have a strong lineup. There's not a whole lot to like about the Kansas City Royals. And when you get an opportunity to bet against them as favorites, I wouldn't argue with doing just that. I look for Colorado to take care of business and get the W in KC. Give me the Rockies at the plus price. And I hope that play will cash for you and me. And that's going to wrap it for Cover It with Teddy Covers. We'll be back again tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel right here. Series XM Channel 159, The Sports Grid Radio Network.